It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux. Today, I am joined by my friend and co-host, Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster for episode 260 of the show. Keaton, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Nice uh, fall weather here in Chicago. It's nice and chilly. But uh, apple time, playoff baseball right around the corner. Not for us, but, you know, just in general, <laughs> playoff baseball is fun. For others. For others to <laughs> yeah. enjoy. Yes. Uh, yeah, fall is the best. Uh, I think unequivocally so. And, um, you know, I know that our editor uh, would disagree with us, but, um, you know, Dan's wrong about some things and, and fall not being the best season is, is one of them. He, he contends that summer is the best season, which I guess if you're a baseball editor, um, you can make that argument. Yeah, I mean, no, I mean, it should be pretty universally fall, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I he's mean, he's wrong, but yeah, yeah, there's still baseball in the fall. So what's what's wrong with that? <laughs> the most important type of baseball uh, yeah. happens in the fall, and then we also have football. We've got the start of the NBA and the NHL. So yeah, fall rules, uh, and apples rule as well. So I'm, sure do. I'm with you about the apples. We are at local Apple Fest next weekend. I'm pretty pumped. Ooh. Pretty pumped about. <clears throat> yeah, that sounds great. Not only are apples great, but cider donuts and apple cider itself are, yeah. are wonderful. So, yeah. Um, very happy it's the fall. We've got some great weather here in New England uh, as well. But, you know, we're not here to talk about apples. We are here to talk about your Boston Red Sox. And uh, on today's episode, um, you know, we're going to be covering news and notes, talking about some of the uh, 
Red Sox organization's um, winners for minor league awards this year. Uh, some injury news, some roster stuff as usual. We're going to hit on the AL batting race a little bit uh, as well, get you updated on that. And then we're going to do something a little bit off the beaten path since the Red Sox are technically eliminated at this point, and really they've been eliminated for a while, but um, you know they're mathematically eliminated at this point. So we're going to talk about the Boston sports landscape and how the Red Sox fit into that. So hopefully, you know, those of you who live in the New England area and follow all of the teams around here will enjoy kind of uh, the discussion of how, how the Red Sox fit into that in our opinion. So let's get right to it, Keaton. Um, Trevor Story hit the IL with a heel contusion right after we uh, recorded our podcast last week. Uh, that resulted in Bobby Dahlbeck coming back up. Uh, anything notable about this, whether, you know, Trevor Story hitting the IL again, you know, he's been on there multiple times this season, or uh, Bobby Dahlbeck coming back up after, uh, you know, being pretty hot down in AAA? Yeah, I think both a little bit. Um, Trevor Story hitting the, the IL again um, is a bummer. And, if you know, it's been a difficult season for him, but... Um, I'm optimistic that once healthy, it shouldn't be pro- like a, a problem thing going forward for him because he really up until this year had never missed um, really like any time due to injury. Like he'd never had injury problems in Colorado at all. Um, had always played like 140 plus games every single year. Um, I think played like 55 or whatever or I mean, almost all of the, the games in the, the COVID short season as well. So um, all of the different injuries that he's ended up having this year have kind of really been inconsistent with his history. And he's really, for the most part, been pretty healthy. You can pencil him in there for a bunch of games. So um, I think this is just kind of an outlier season for him. And so I'm hoping having, you know, a nice out of season to get fully healthy um, that this kind of isn't a problem going forward and look for him to have a much better bounce back season next year and a, a little bit smoother of a transition here back to the Red Sox. So, um, but it was really good to see Bobby Dahlbeck get hot down at AAA as well. Um, I don't think it's a huge surprise that he's back, but we'll see if, you know, that helped him kind of get right with the swing and things and see if he's able to really kind of do anything here. Over the last um, like two weeks, that it really kind of has for a showcase, um, but I don't think it's going to be enough to really, you know, swing the pendulum of what his future role might be. I think that's that's pretty much set in stone at this point now. Yeah, I think uh, you know you're you're right about that. If anything, maybe give him a little bit of confidence heading into next year. I don't think it's going to change his value in the eyes of other teams, no matter how he does. Um, and, and I'm fully with you on Trevor's story. I'm not worried about him long term. It just kind of stinks that the first year that he has really suffered injuries has been uh, his first year here with the Red Sox. Um, Rafael Devers, though, a little bit of injury news from tonight's game as we were watching this. Uh, Alex Spear tweeted out that, you know, he uh, seemed to be limping. After grounding into a double play, um, you know, the rain delay is going on right now as we're recording this episode, so we're not sure if he's going to come back out uh, after that. But, you know, definitely something to monitor here. Wouldn't really surprise me, given the uh, second half that uh, Devers has been having. 
uh, if, you know, they ended up shutting him down for, for a little while here and maybe even for the, the last week or so of the season. No, I don't think that it would. I don't think that's a bad thing either. I think um, like there's obviously no reason to push it. It's not really chasing anything. Um, so I think an, an abundance of caution and making sure that he is as healthy as possible would be a good thing. But, I mean, we've seen him kind of like limping and struggling here for a very, very extended period of time. Um, and I feel like why risk the potential for um, – something major to happen over the last 10 games. Uh, just shut them down. It's 10 games. It's not worth it. Yeah, not a whole lot of the season left. I, I will guess that he's going to try and talk his way back into the lineup if it's nothing yeah. serious, um, because I think he has been kind of taking a page out of Xander's book of you know, trying to get in there as much as he can when he's not 100%, which is certainly something that you like to see uh, from, from Devers. But, you know, at the same time, it's just it's clear that there have been a lot of things piling up, like you said. So, uh, you know, I'm, I think he's probably looking forward to the off season as well to get his body right. Um, as everybody's dealing with a lot of stuff, but it seems like he's just been dealing with a little bit more. Um, but other guys that, you know, do have something to play for Nathan Eovaldi is going to be activated later on this week and, uh, reportedly will make, uh, about two more starts before the end of the year. Um, that's pretty important for Nathan Eovaldi, I think, to show other teams that he is indeed healthy. And, you know, I'm going to be looking for Nathan Eovaldi in these last couple of starts that he makes to see if his velocity is back. And I'm sure that, you know, teams that are interested in him in this upcoming offseason are going to be watching for how he performs. Yeah, it's a pretty big showcase. It's just to show that he's, he's back healthy and um, it seems like they might have rushed him back a bit because I mean, the velocity was way down. I think he was kind of struggling a bit, so I don't think it was a surprise that he ended up missing some more time. But there's obviously not a lot of time left in the season, so um, for him to kind of put his stuff on display one more time or two more times here and a uh, couple short stints here, right before being a free agent is uh, a lot of pressure on those to, to kind of have them go well his entire future is riding on it so <laughs> yeah no pressure bud yeah i mean uh if if Eovaldi retires after this year which he's not going to he'd still have plenty of money but um yeah it's uh it's extremely important uh for him gut feeling on Eovaldi. do you think he's back next year i don't i don't think so either so I'm wishing him well, hope that he shows well and uh, gets paid by somebody, not the Red Sox, next year. Yep. Okay, so as I uh, mentioned at the top of the show, the Boston Red Sox uh, announced the winners of the organization's 2022 Minor League Awards. Uh, here are the awards. Offensive Player of the Year, first baseman Nico Cavadas. Defensive Player of the Year, uh, infielder slash outfielder Sedan Rafaela. Starting Pitcher of the Year, Brian Bayo. Relief Pitcher of the Year, Frank Herman, which is going to take me a while to master saying <laughs> again. Um, but we did get told by one of our uh, excellent listeners, uh, Zach, uh, that, uh, you know, it has switched back. So at least I feel better about that. Uh, base Runner of the Year, infielder David Hamilton, who had like 70 plus steals on the year. 
uh, Latin program position player of the year, Andy Lugo, Latin player, uh, pitcher of the year, uh, Eberson Polanco, and uh, Zach Kelly was recognized as the Lou Gorman Award winner, given annually to a Red Sox minor league pitcher, uh, minor league player, I should say, who has demonstrated dedication and perseverance in overcoming obstacles while working his way to the major league team. Uh, we've talked about Zach Kelly's journey here and uh, you know how long it took him to get to the major leagues and the fact that he's looking like he absolutely does belong is pretty cool. Um, do you have any thoughts on, on any of these in particular or anybody on this list stand out to you as particularly noteworthy or anybody you're surprised about? No surprises. Definitely no surprises. I don't think there's really a single surprise on anybody on this list. I think there was a couple of different candidates for Offensive Player of the Year, um, but I like that it went to Cavadas, and I'm not really surprised that it did, um, just given the power that he showed. And even though the power and average weren't quite there at Double A, um, the walk rate and the on-base ability was there. Um, and so it's... The offensive production um, didn't see like really a massive drop, but um, he did kind of cruise his way through multiple levels. So I think at some point <laughs> that was going to catch up to him. <laughs> and so it did right at the very end. Um, but he just, it, across all the levels that he was able to achieve, the overall line's pretty darn impressive. So um, don't fault that there at all. Uh, so, no, I wasn't really surprised by any of these. Yeah, I wasn't either. I think they were all pretty chalk picks. Um, you know, the I, I guess if I were to single out two individuals who I will think about the most when I think about this year's uh, minor league uh, season across the board for the Red Sox, I think it'll it, I'll remember it as the Sedan Rafaela breakout year. Um, yeah. On the offensive side of things and on the pitching side of things. I think Brian Bayo uh, and his development and the step forward that he took and, you know, even the, the growth that we've seen from Bayo at the major league level a- across the last couple of months and how much his stuff has evolved and how he's attacking hitters. Uh, you know, he's, he's having his best success uh, here in September. So it's uh, it's been really good to see those two individuals and what a step forward they both took. So great development stories there. Yeah, Bay was absolutely crushing it in September too. And you know, seeing the steps forward that he's made at the major league level, I think um after the rough first starts and then him being sent down again, I weren't I wasn't sure when we might be able to see him again. Um, but that was helped by some injuries for him to basically come back. I think it was like a week later. <laughs> so um he was kind of thrust right back into it. Um with not much time to really kind of like settle himself back at AAA. He came right back up and then just kind of continued to learn on the fly and really straightened himself out and has just shoved all month of September. It's been fantastic. Yeah, he really has. And uh, I enjoyed watching him uh, go against Aaron Judge as well. Um, you know, yeah. it, it was kind of funny to see the Judge family overreacting to uh, Judge making a little bit of mildly hard contact with uh, a Bayo slider that just went nowhere, just died <laughs> in like left center. Um, but yeah, it's, it's good to see. He just, he seems like he's pitching with so much confidence and uh, I, I've loved everything that I've seen from Bayo up in the major leagues in terms of, you know, his ability to learn and interact with his teammates and stay positive and 
I don't know. I think the Red Sox have a really good one here in Bayo. Uh, maybe, maybe the best. Uh, you know, we talked about it when he came up that he he might be the best starting pitcher that they've developed since, you know, the days of Buckholtz and Lester. And I think I'm I might even be ready at this point to say the best since Lester, uh, going going even above what we saw from Buckholtz. But I don't know. Future looks bright for that kid. Sure does. It's gonna be real exciting. Also, I, I don't know if you saw this, but I tweeted it out. But Pedro Martinez dropped that this kid has Cy Young stuff on him. Did Whoa. you uh, did you catch that? I didn't catch that. Yeah, a little uh, a little that nugget rates. from Pedro uh, during a uh, a little segment on TV. So um, you know when when Pedro's saying those types of things about you, uh, that is that's something. So yeah, it is. <laughs> you can dream on that for sure. Um, as I mentioned at the top of the show, the Red Sox have five losses in a row uh, heading into tonight. They are uh, behind the Orioles, so potentially six losses in a row as you're listening to this, depending on how this game goes and whether or not it gets out of rain delay. But um, the AL batting race is still just really up up for grabs. Xander Bogarts and Judge heading into today were both at 314, but Judge had the slight edge in percentage points there. Uh, Luis Arias at 313. Xander technically right now as we're recording this is down to 313. All these guys are pretty much tied at this point, so it's going to come down to what happens over the last 10 days. Uh, If you had to make a guess, who ends up getting the batting title? Bogarts. Okay. I just feel like it's the year of the judge. So uh, as much as I want my my guy Bogey to get it, I feel like uh, judge is going to end up with it and get the triple crown. Probably not wrong. I just I want him to get the home run record, uh, but then have the triple crown spoiled by Bogarts because I want Bogarts to have a batting title. <laughs> yeah. And plus, it would just be really fun to have that <laughs> spoil the Yankees. So. Yeah, I'm fully with that. Um, that's what I want to happen. Um, yeah. But, you know, I just, I don't know. Feels like Judge is just something else this year. Um, and the fact that he yep. snuck up in this race is just remarkable. Uh, if Judge does win it, though, some fun facts for you about um, the Triple Crown. He will be the third Yankee ever to win the Triple Crown. Uh, can you guess the other two Yankees to do it? Um, Ruth and Mantle. You got one of them, Mantle, but not Ruth. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Gehrig. Yep. Gehrig okay. and well, Mantle. Yeah, those three were the three I was going to guess. So <laughs> yeah. I just figured Ruth probably had to be one of them. That's kind of surprising. Yep. So he will be uh, the third guy, and that will be the only franchise ever with three different guys to win the award. Uh, the Red Sox have two winners of the Triple Crown. Do you know who they are? Uh, Fred Lynn and Ted Williams. Ted Williams is one. Fred Lynn is not. You're thinking you're you're missing the uh, the obvious one from the oh um, Jastrzemski. Yes, there you go. That was yeah. I meant <laughs> Jastrzemski, not Lynn. But, uh, yeah, that was. Fred. I think yeah. You're you're just tired at this point. Everybody. <laughs> uh, when we think of Triple Crown, we think of Yaz in '67. So right. Yeah. yeah, that was bad. That's okay. Yeah, hey, you, I got there. We forgive you. <laughs> um, and it was unfair for me to like throw trivia at you at, at this hour of the night. Um, all right. So 
Let's go ahead and have a little bit of fun with uh, Red Sox team leaders for this year uh, without looking. So I'm going to quiz you on who the team leaders are, and uh, you're yeah. going to do your darndest to uh, try and get these categories. So sure who, am. Who, who do you think is the Red Sox leader in war? Xander start Bogarts. off with some easy ones. Yes. Yeah. Xander Bogarts. Uh, how about home runs? Devers. Yes. Still with 27. He, I, I feel like Devers was there at the All-Star break. Uh, yeah. And he's still there. Uh, how about runs scored? Um, also Devers? No, he's very close at 80. Uh, but Xander has him edged out at 83 at this point. Um, but I have a extra fun fact here for you. If you take what Tommy Pham has done over the course of the season with other teams, he would actually be the team leader with 87 runs scored this year, which I was kind of surprised about. Yeah. yeah. Considering the season that Xander has had, that's uh, that's pretty good. Uh, RBI. Um, Devers. Yep. Still Devers. 84. Uh, not having a guy that's going to hit 100 RBIs this year or drive in 100 runs, I should say, uh, is kind of weird because it seems like he's, unless something, unless he catches fire over the last 10 days, I don't think he's going to get there. I mean, yeah, that's, that'd be, he, what is it? It'd be like one point, one and a half a game the rest yeah. of the way. That's yeah. a lot. It's not happening. Uh, not that he's not capable of it. It's just very unlikely. Especially while hurt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, stolen bases. Oh, man. Um, story? Yep. That's got to be story. Yeah. Yep. Story with 13. Uh, despite only playing in 94 games, he's been the most active on the base paths. Um, and WRC plus, our favorite metric here. Bogarts. Ah, uh, tie actually. Uh, Rafael Devers and Bogarts are both tied at 138. If you take guys that have been part-time players, though, with the Red Sox, uh, this is quite fun. Reese McGuire, <laughs> in his time with the Red Sox, over 30 games, 161 WRC plus, and Rob Refsnyder at 141. Um, although oh. you know those guys, very limited plate appearances, so you certainly can't count that as the team leader, but you know, fun nonetheless. Yeah, that is fun. On the pitching side of things, who's the overall war leader in your estimation? Waka. Yep. 2.1. Very low war leader <laughs> for this year on the pitching Yikes. side. Yeah, and that includes everybody, starters, relievers. Obviously, it would be a starter uh, given that nobody's had a standout relief season other than Schreiber, um, who... Has almost a two war. Schreiber actually ranks third on the team in uh, Fangraphs war uh, for pitchers, which is pretty remarkable considering 62 innings pitched. Yeah. Uh, speaking of innings pitched, who do you think's the leader in the clubhouse there? Also, uh, no, Pavetta. Pavetta, easily. Yeah. yeah. Wins it by 50. I was like, uh, because everybody else has been on the IL except Pavetta. Yeah, and, and though <laughs> you know, one of the things that I wanted to follow up on though is that um, you know at the beginning of the, the season, one of the things that I had predicted uh, when we were doing our 
previews is that Waka would not go past the 125 innings uh, and that Rich Hill would not get over 85. And Rich Hill has shut me up with 112 and a third so far. <laughs> and uh, Waka is already at 120, so he's going to go over as well. Uh, so both of these guys did better than I thought. That's closer to what I thought. I think I, I had somebody at 120. I think I went 120 and 100. Yeah, I you were definitely more optimistic than me. I remember that. So oh, wait, what did you have Waka at? I had Waka at one twenty, and I had oh, Hill so at yeah, like no, eighty five. I think I went one fifty and one twenty with Hill then, because and then yeah, you went way way under. Yeah, I was I was very pessimistic about Rich Hill. Yeah, uh, I mean, it was good reason. Yeah, I. I'm happy I was wrong about those two. Ultimately, did it make a difference in the season? No, their last place. Um, but I was pleasantly surprised by both of those two guys. Yeah. Definitely delivered some good starts. Um, ERA, in terms of, uh, I'll give you a guess for uh, lowest ERA by a reliever and lowest ERA by a starter. These are layups. Yeah. Waka. Mm-hmm. And Schreiber. Yep. Yep. That is, that is it. Um, I, I I will I will tell you though that the second best starting pitcher, with five and two thirds innings pitched, Chris Sale, three point one eight. Yeah, boy. Oh, what could have been? Yeah. All right. So that that's all the fun that we have for numbers today. But uh, I just wanted to, um, you know. It's it kind of puts in perspective why this is a last place team at this point. Going through those numbers, you're just kind of like, yeah, okay, yeah. They had a ton of numbers, a uh, ton of uh, guys who underperformed their numbers, ton of guys who got hurt. It was just uh, not their year overall. It was not underwhelming. Very much so. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So uh, one of the, my favorite topics uh, that I want to end the show with is, uh, you know, kind of where the Red Sox rank in the current Boston sports landscape. And, and we've been very uh, spoiled over the last 20 plus years, really going back all the way to 2001 when the Patriots won against the Rams. Um, I remember when that happened, thinking that this was the greatest thing ever and I would never see another Super Bowl and I made my dad, you know, let me skip school and go to the parade and you know, I just remember how cold it was and all that stuff and then lo and behold every team went on to win a championship uh, over the next 20 years, some multiple championships. So I wanted to kind of look at the landscape and uh, kind of rank the Celtics, Bruins, Patriots and Red Sox in uh, some different categories here as to how we think, you know, they, they rank in uh, closeness to a championship, um, their ownership groups in front office, 
current talent, in, including prospects, uh, how the teams will rank in the next three years, and how we think they will rank in popularity. Uh, so let's get right to it, Keaton. Um, how would you rank the teams right now in terms of closeness to a championship, closeness to contending, and let's just say within the next like uh, season of, of each of these teams? Well, this is really fun because uh, if you we take the most recent completed season of every single one of these teams, they were all in the playoffs. So if you you know not including the season that is about to end for the Red Sox because it hasn't ended yet, they were in the playoffs last year, along with all all the other Boston teams. Um, feels like so long ago. How spoiled we are. Um, it feels like the Red Sox would be in last. I mean, they kind of have to be. Even with this potential Mac Jones angle sprain debacle toppling down on top of the Patriots. Um, I have like, them in last, so I I agree with you. Yeah. It feels like the easiest is the last and first, which is Celtics first, Red Sox last, and then how do you slot in the Patriots and Bruins? Uh, and it feels like a lot may weigh on whether or not the quarterback for the next eight games is Brian Hoyer or not. Um because I wouldn't feel great about that. I would put the Patriots third if that was the case and the Bruins second. <laughs> well, uh, you're a smart man, Keaton, because uh, that's exactly how I had it. Celtics, Bruins, Patriots, Red Sox. Um, you know, Celtics and, and Red Sox, I think, as you said, are pretty self-explanatory. Celtics a couple yeah. wins away from the, the NBA championship. Red Sox... I wanted to put them higher because I do think there is a path here for the Red Sox to have a good offseason um, in 2022, 2023, uh, and come back and really you know, do some great things in 2023. So I think that that turnaround for the Red Sox could be dramatic and quick uh, if Bloom has a really good offseason, but we just have zero evidence so far of, of Bloom being able to complete an offseason like that. So I just... I can't give credit when I've never seen Bloom do it uh, at that point. And, and for me, you know, when we talk about closeness to a championship in the next season, next full season, um, Bruins get the edge over the Patriots for me because they were able to convince, you know, Bergeron to come back again, Krejci to come back, uh, Marshawn and, um, and McAvoy are going to be out for part of the season with injuries, but they will eventually come back as well. So it seems like the Bruins are gearing up for at least one more run. And uh, I've been really bearish on the Patriots. I predicted before this season that they'd be six and 11. Uh, and I, I think that Oof. I might actually be right uh, about that. I just don't think they have a ton of talent. And like you said, with Mac going down with the high ankle sprain, which looks like it's going to require surgery. Um, not feeling very good about the direction of that team. No. Feels like uh, the offense doesn't know what it's doing without McDaniels. It's a bummer. Yeah, it is uh, tough to watch Matt Patricia and uh, Joe Judge try yeah. and figure things out over there. It's it's not been fun so far. 
All right, let's move on to the next category. How would you rank the ownership groups slash front office of these four teams? Yeah. Um, this one is kind of fun, I think. Um, I think I'd go... Patriots, Celtics, Bruins, Red Sox. Wow, we've got some arguments right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that you hate Bill Belichick, so I imagine yes. you didn't have the Patriots very high. No. Uh, even though that's banana land. <laughs> um. I don't know. Okay, so first we have to talk about the Red Sox here. You had the Red Sox last in this? Yes. I had the Red Sox first. Interesting. Okay, so here's my reasoning, and I want to hear what your reasoning is for last place. But So I appreciate the fact that John Henry bought this team, what was it, 2002, when he, when he purchased the team. Yeah. And they have won... Four World Series, and they've done it with a bunch of different cores, a bunch of different managers, you know, a bunch of different general managers, um, and they've always spent towards the top of the market. So when I look at like their performance, it's not necessarily tied to a, a, a certain coach, a certain manager, you know, a certain player. It's just they just keep doing it. Um, so that's why I put the Red Sox first. This doesn't, you know, reflect that I don't have a ton of faith in what Bloom's doing, but I do have faith yeah. in, in Henry's ability to figure out a new solution if Bloom doesn't work out. So I guess, how did you do your ranking just on like their entire tenure? Yeah, pretty much. Oh, okay. That was not how I was doing mine. Okay. So you were doing it like right now? Yeah. Like okay. faith right now in ability to turn around a title. Okay. Yeah, I think maybe I put a little bit more stock. I would in not the- have the Red Sox at the bottom ranking their entire body of work. Obviously, I mean, they have the second amount of titles in the last 20 years. I would still have the Patriots first, but I would have the Red Sox second after that. Okay. As frustrating as I have found them over that Who- time. And you know, I've been very critical of them. But still respecting the four World Series that they have won, I would have them second in overall body of work. Just right now, I'm extremely frustrated with them and don't feel like uh, we're really, I mean, I guess like we got some potential answers on the direction of the club in Bloom's most recent interview, which um, I think was positive and good to hear but until we actually get the action it's just words because at this point that's all we've heard for the past three years is words we haven't actually seen the action yet so it was just extremely frustrated with the now so that was why i had them last in my ranking of now yeah no i mean that that does make some sense um i think their future is about as questionable uh, because they're a last place team right now. And if they have a really bad off season, uh, they will be a last place team again next year with how good the AL East team is or the AL East division is. So yeah, I think that's, uh, that's definitely something you could argue. Um, 
in terms of the way that I had the rest of the uh, teams after the Red Sox, I had the Celtics, then the Patriots, then the Bruins. And uh, let me uh, just defend my my Patriots hate here because I know that you uh, you have the Patriots first uh, in this category. So my thinking here is that Kraft bought the team in 94, um, immediately did some really good things. Turned them around by 97, Parcells and the uh, Patriots reach a Super Bowl. He makes a really good hire in Bill Belichick. Belichick drafts Brady. The next 20 years of a dynasty ensue. Uh, All that is gravy. Um, But we've never seen a Patriots, you know, Super Bowl or even like super successful team um, really without Tom Brady uh, here. So I just, until I see Belichick get this thing back on the tracks or until I see Kraft like clear house of, you know, Belichick and all of his sycophants uh, and, and build something else here, it's, it's hard for me to give as much credit as like John Henry and being able to do it with so many different groups. They went to a playoff playoffs last year with a rookie quarterback. They did. And they got absolutely dismantled. I mean, the Bills are a very good team. The Bills are very good. Yeah. I mean, Tom Brady aside, the man has many more hits than he does misses. We focus on the misses a lot and you know, wide receiver being a big one. But the dude just he gets it right a lot like a whole lot and he just gets so many guys to buy in and even in the the season when Brady went down went 11 games with Matt Castle it's not really his fault they didn't go to the playoffs that year they had the same record as two other teams that went to the playoffs so yeah he can do it with whoever's there he's a talented guy yep he is I uh Taking nothing away from Brady, obviously it's the combination of the two that made them so successful. I don't think one is – I know you, you think that Brady is significantly more responsible than the other. Yes. I think it's just, it was the perfect merger of the two, and I don't think uh, there's anything wrong with saying that and taking more away from one or the other. Um, and obviously on their own, I think they're still pretty darn good. Obviously Brady won the Super Bowl after leaving, and I think the Patriots are still in a really good spot with just Belichick. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I think the best uh, argument that I've heard either way is that like for the first 10 years of Brady's career, it was probably more Belichick. And for the the second 10 years here, it was probably more Brady. Um, I think that's probably the logical way to look at it. I have fully admitted I have, uh, I am like an obnoxious WEEI caller when it comes to how I view the Patriots. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm just pure id, pure emotion uh, when it comes to the Patriots. So they're, they're the team I cannot look logically at. So I understand that, you know, I'm, uh, I'm not actually playing with a full deck here when talking about the Patriots. But, you know, unequivocally, I think the Bruins have to be last on this uh, in terms of ownership groups in front offices. I, I just have to take a moment here to skewer 
the Jacobs family in their absentee ownership, their cheapness, uh, and the fact that they are basically letting uh, Cam Neely and Don Sweeney, who are terrible at their jobs, yeah. uh, continue to run this operation. It's an absolute clown show of ownership. Uh, it it's it's crazy because Boston is such a remarkable hockey town too. Uh, we deserve way better ownership uh, than what the Bruins have, and they're sort of successful in spite of uh, all this crap. So it's uh, it's. I just wish they had something better. Yeah. I mean, it was probably my emotions that had the, you know, the, you saying that you're emotional about um, the Patriots and I'm very obviously emotional about the Red Sox and their front office and not being able to think logically about them. Probably should have been third in the Bruins fourth, but just my spite being like, God damn it, jerks, you're last. Hey, I get it. I get it. When it comes to uh, your teams, who you put so much love into uh, and so much time into, it's it's tough to be purely uh, emotion free all the time. Indeed. Uh, next question I had for us was: How would you rank their current talent plus uh, the prospects? And uh, I'll give my rankings first this time. I had uh, Celtics yeah. one, Red Sox two, uh, Bruins three. Uh, Patriots four and um, you know just to go down this list a little bit um, Celtics is obvious so I won't spend too much time on that with the Red Sox I, I still think like we're in a good spot with the farm system a um, lot of talent coming up Tristan Casas making his debut um, Devers still being on the team I think they'll get something figured out with those guys uh, going down the line a little bit further you know Bruins they have the worst farm system in all of hockey, ranked 32nd out of 32nd by most outlets, um, and a bunch of really old guys at the top. So once those guys are gone, it's it's pretty much going to be uh, the basement for the Bruins for a while. Uh, it, but the Patriots I had below them because, you know, as, as I kind of stated at the top of the show, I don't believe the Patriots have enough talent as it stands right now and I have completely lost faith in Belichick's ability to uh, serve as a general manager of this team and make the right draft picks so you know that's why I, I have them in that order how, how did you rank these guys so I had Celtics and Red Sox one and two as well but then I had it flipped I had the Patriots and the Bruins because um, I mean you mentioned the Bruins prospects um, but the I mean the biggest thing with the Bruins was just having secondary scoring mm-hmm. outside of the main guys in the perfection line. And Taylor Hall is a huge boost to that. And that helps, but um, I don't think it's enough. Um, you know, they convinced DeBrusque to stay, um, but I don't think they've really maximized uh, his talent. And part of that goes to like basically this question and like developing prospects and the current talent um so just not having enough secondary scoring i think taylor hall's a really nice piece obviously he he had a really nice end of the season and he has a nice piece to this roster to be here um for a longer term but i just don't think it's enough um so i think right now i would give the edge to the patriots over the bruins very fair very fair and i think that some bruins fans will be screaming at us that 
Fabian Lysel is like going to be the next great thing. Um, and uh, Lysel we'll is currently ranked uh, 170th by uh, Scott Pronman in terms of top prospects in hockey. Um, so he's a nice prospect, but I, I don't think he's um, quite what Bruins fans think he is at this point. Uh, so a lot, a lot of work to be done on that system. Um, how will the ranks, the teams rank in the next three years? So I didn't want to project ahead too far here because I think especially with how quickly things change in the NBA um, and how much a single draft can change things in the NA, in the NFL, I didn't really want to like project too far ahead. I think you can project further ahead in uh, baseball, in hockey than you can in the other sports just because we know more about their pipelines. But um how do you see the next three years of these teams in three years? Who's what are the, what are the rankings going to be? So is this like 2025? Who's closest to a title? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. I mean, it's pretty hard to bet against the Celtics right now. I guess I assuming, I mean, the, the three years puts a little bit of a cap on it, right? Cause Jalen Brown's up 2024. Right. So that puts a bit of a cloud over the three years, but yeah, I mean, even that included, it's it's pretty darn hard bet against Celtics. And then I would say it should be the Red Sox mm-hmm. and then Patriots and then Bruins, I would imagine. Um, the clock, the window's closed on all of these these aging guys and they've begun the rebuild. I agree with you, aside from the bottom two. I had it Celtics, Red Sox, Bruins, Patriots. Um, <laughs> Man, apparently I, I hate the Bruins and you hate the Patriots. I, You know what? I'm just killing the Patriots here. <laughs> I just don't believe in the plan. Like I, I just don't think that Bill has it anymore. And I think that the Bruins are always going to do enough to get in the playoffs because the Jacobses really care about the playoff gate. Um, but I do think the bottom is coming. For the Patriots sooner rather than later. I'm not one of these people that thinks this is firmly a franchise on the upswing right now. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if Belichick gets his uh, his wins record over Shula, calls it a day, Kraft cleans house, um, and in three years we're talking about the Patriots as really kind of starting over from almost square one. Well, then Josh McDaniels will be back as head coach. <laughs> well, he might be fired after his own three start with the Raiders here. Yeah. Uh, things are not going well for him as a head coach. This guy is snake bitten. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> By week 12, he'll be back as offensive coordinator. <laughs> and then uh, head coach in waiting again for the third time, fourth time. <laughs> I wouldn't mind seeing a uh, Gerard Mayo as the head coach of the Patriots to to uh, come after Belichick. It'd be cool. That would be cool. I, don't think I like that thing. I like. He's it. the only guy on the staff I like. So, yeah, <laughs> the only guy who's not related to Bill. <laughs> yeah, or an adopted child of Bill, like Patricia Judge. Um. All right. How do you think they will rank in terms of popularity? Um, I guess in the, in the near term. So next three years in terms of, so right now the current rankings are Patriots, Red Sox, 
Celtics Bruins um, in terms of the most recent polls that were done by uh, network analysts, uh, and it wasn't particularly close. The Patriots were far ahead, and then it was very close between the Red Sox and Celtics. They were separated by one percentage point, and the Bruins were pretty mo- pretty far off the back end of that. Uh, do you think that'll change at all in the next two to three years? Yeah, so I actually, um, the middle were kind of the ones that I was, I mean, football just rules the country. So I I figured Patriots would probably stay number one, pretty much regardless of what happens. Even if your scenario plays out, it probably still would be crazy popular. Yep, I Um, agree with you. Just because football. But I mean, if the next three years the Celtics are in the finals, like every year, or pretty darn close to the finals every year, um, I'd have to imagine that that 1% gap gets closed and we're looking at the Celtics over the Red Sox with the Bruins last. Yeah, I think you're probably right, Keaton. Um, I chose to exercise some Sox optimism here um, that the Red Sox will get things back on track and that they'll maintain a slight edge over the Celtics, because I think like if the if the Red Sox are really good and the Celtics are really good, the Red Sox are still going to be more popular because they yeah. traditionally just have been more popular when both of those teams have been really good. Um, but I, I agree with you that that gap is just really closing fast. And I think if the Red Sox slip at all, uh, they're going to be surpassed by the Celtics. Yeah, I think the the margin, I guess air quotes, margin for error is obviously much finer for the Celtics. Like Red Sox have one good run to the postseason, and then obviously you know, Boston is completely Red Sox crazy again, and that gap gets huge. Yeah. It I'm doesn't right take much for you. the Red Sox to swing that percentage. But I think if the Celtics are consistently like crazy freaking good for all three years, then I think that they could overcome that 1% if the Red Sox are still trying to figure out their way basically if they don't have the offseason that we hope they have yeah and so there's like they're sputtering for the first two of these three years um while the celtics are competing for a title then i think that that's a obviously a small enough gap for the celtics to pass the red sox yeah i think you're 100 percent right there and I, I do wonder how uh the changes to baseball in 2023 are going to impact all this um yeah, good points yeah. You know, the NBA has been growing very rapidly, and uh, baseball viewership has not uh, been growing quite as rapidly. So, But I do wonder if those are going to have any impacts. So, I got, one way, I got one way the Red Sox can secure that popularity percentage. Our, uh, our first listener question there. <laughs> okay, go for it. Uh, Mike Toomey says, would you trade Cassis or Meyer as a centerpiece in a deal for Otani? I would. I certainly would. And I'd be very happy to have Otani on the team and having the most exciting player in baseball would definitely make the Red Sox super popular. Yeah, I'll go one further here, Mike. I'll trade them both for yeah, Otani. There you go. I yeah. would as well. Yeah. I, uh, I think that would be about the best thing that could happen. Uh, to this city as a baseball baseball fan uh, would be to get Otani. So that that would absolutely rule. 
And I don't think that's too much of an ask. I mean, if you look at it, Otani has been worth, geez, like what, 16 war over the last two years uh, combined. So he's certainly worth uh, two prospects, no matter how good. Yeah. Um, House of Kuzu has our final question of the night. Uh, and, you know, I appreciate a couple questions here rolling in, especially as we wrap up the uh, last uh, 10 games of a disappointing season. And uh, he says, I get that Dollar Tree Reese, as he calls him, hasn't played good, but he's not been has played good, but he's not been the type of player in his career uh, that he's been this year. So I don't trust him. How about four years and 60 million for Wilson Contreras? Or pay for the Sean Murphy premium with prospects. Um, so talking about not running back that platoon of, of Reese and Wong that we've been talking about over the last couple of episodes. Let me ask you, Keaton, which of those would you prefer? Four and 60 for Contreras or trading for Murphy? Yeah, I think that's a really good evaluation of Contreras too. Um, four years, 60 mil, 15 mil a year. I think makes a lot of sense for his services. He's 30 or 31 so i think that probably makes a lot of sense for his market value um and his talent um sean murphy's 27 and has three years of control um but i think i'd rather go that route the sean murphy route um and focus on spending the money elsewhere on the roster um if it's me uh, and I don't, I mean, it would take pretty solid prospects, but I don't think it would take a ton. It's not like it would be a massive hit, and then you would have that position shored up for at least three years. Obviously, you could do some stuff there to keep him here longer, but I think also Murphy, I think it's just a better option. Um, at catcher there, um, Wilson, obviously, he's had a pretty good season this year, which obviously contract year is a really good time to have it. Um but I think I would prefer the Murphy option here uh, just for the the cost of spending the money elsewhere on the roster and just go through arbitration with him or the whatever uh, you want to settle up on whatever his contracts would end up being, which would probably be less. And I think you get more out of him in those three years. And then you can kind of just see where you go at catcher from there. Um, and then I uh, just, I think this, the better option on the field contracts and, you know, costs to acquire aside, I think would be Murphy. Yeah, I agree with all of that. Uh, it would be Murphy by a country mile for me. It's not, I, I don't really want any part of, uh, Wilson Contreras at four years and 60. Um, I'd rather run the platoon, uh, back instead of paying him that just because I don't think it's particularly important to pay for a good offensive catcher. I think it's way more important that your catcher is uh, really great defensively and really great at calling a game. And Sean Murphy is elite at both of those. Uh, and also offensively, he's pretty damn good. So yeah, I, I, uh, I love the idea of Sean Murphy and I think the Red Sox should be all over that. Um, and then, you know, extend them. Uh, I don't think robot ump is coming anytime soon. I think these changes that are happening in baseball in 2023 are pretty big changes. And I think they'll leave the game alone for a while. Uh, so 
you know, I think it'll it'll certainly be no robot umps through the remaining three years of control for Sean Murphy and probably for significant time after that. Yeah, indeed. All right. Well, that is our show tonight. We hope you enjoyed it. A little bit off the beaten path in terms of uh, not just talking Red Sox for us. So, uh, you know, tell us whether you like that or not. We'd appreciate some feedback. And, uh, you know, definitely not going to happen very often. But, you know, with 10 games left and a fifth place team, you're going to get what you're going to get, people. Um, So, Keaton, thank you for joining me tonight. Appreciate it as usual. Follow Keaton on Twitter at The Spoken Keats. Follow me at, at Dev Jake and follow Keaton tweeting about the Red Sox at overthemonster.com or at overthemonster. Uh, all right, that's it. Thanks, guys. Mm-hmm.